We turn now to the Word of God for our instruction in righteousness and the way of sanctification. The Lord help us as we come to His Word. We turn to the book of First Kings and the chapter 12. And to remind you as you're turning there, the book of First and Second Kings were one book in the original, and there were no chapter divisions. So I hope that you don't mind me reading part way through chapter 12 and right the way through to chapter 13. And the reason I'm doing that is to give you the context of the things that take place in these two chapters. Reading from verse 25 of 1 Kings chapter 12. This is the word of the Lord. Come, let us hear God's holy word. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim, and dwelt therein, and went out from thence, and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel, and made two calves of gold, and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set thee one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one even unto Dan." And he made an house of high places, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves, that he had made, and he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel, and he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense, and he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord, and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, this is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass, when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand which he put forth against him dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him. The altar also was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king answered and said unto the man of God, 
entreat now the face of the Lord thy God and pray for me that my hand may be restored me again. And the man of God besought the Lord and the king's hand was restored him again and became as it was before. And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me and refresh thyself and I will give thee a reward. And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so was it charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way, and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken unto the king. Then they told also to their father. And their father said unto them, What way went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his sons, Saddle the ass. So they saddled him the ass, and he rode thereon. He went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, Come home with me, and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread, nor drink water there, nor turn again, to go by the way that thou camest. He said unto him, I am a prophet, also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. So we went back with him, and did eat bread in his house, and drank water. And it came to pass, as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, for as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back, and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread, and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulchre of thy fathers. And it came to pass, after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, that he saddled for him the ass, to wit, for the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him. And his carcass was cast in the way, and the ass stood by it. The lion also stood by the carcass. And behold, men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way, and the lion standing by the carcass, and they came and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, It is the man of God who was disobedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord hath delivered him unto the lion, which hath torn him and slain him according to the word 
of the Lord, which he spake unto him. And he spake unto his son, saying, Saddle me the ass. And they saddled him, and he went and found his carcass cast in the way, and the ass and the lion standing by the carcass. The lion had not eaten the carcass, nor torn the ass. And the prophet took up the carcass of the man of God, and laid it upon the ass, and brought it back. And the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him, and he laid his carcass in his own grave. And they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother, and it came to pass, after he had buried him, that he spake to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the sepulchre wherein the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel, and against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria, shall surely come to pass. After this thing Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again the lowest of the people priests of the high places, whosoever would he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And in this thing became sin unto the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth." Amen. We turn now to the New Testament for a portion, reading of God's Word there. The New Testament to the epistle to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In the verse 11 to the verse 18, our New Testament reading. O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged, ye are not straightened in us, but ye are straightened in your own bowels. Now for recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children, be also enlarged. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Amen. May the Lord bless that public reading of his most holy, infallible, inerrant, and sacred word to our needful hearts and minds today, and all for the glory of his name. Congregation, I'd ask you to please turn your prayerful attention to those words that I read to you there in 1 Kings chapter 12 and also chapter 13. And with the Lord's help, I want to look at the matters concerning the events that take place in the chapter 13. But just to put everything into context, as I've read, we read of the account of Jeroboam setting up these false places of worship in Bethel and Dan. 
The context is that the kingdom has now been split. We know from chapter 12 that Solomon's son Rehoboam did not take the counsel of the elder men, but took the counsel of the younger men and decided to heavily tax the people of Israel. There were 12 tribes then, and we know that the 10 tribes in the north rebelled against this. And you can read that all for yourself in chapter 12. And Jeroboam, who was the military leader of Solomon, and Solomon now is gone to be with the Lord. He has departed this life. It's a reminder that we all must pass through this world. Jeroboam decides in order to keep the people for himself and in order to have all of Israel, as it were, he will set up these two places of false worship. And there he sets up golden calves in Bethel and Dan in the north. Now there was only to be one central place of worship where the Israelite men gathered three times a year. Of course, throughout Israel were Levite cities, and in those Levite cities were what we would call little synagogues where they would meet. But three times a year, the men of Israel were to gather in Jerusalem, and that signified one central place, the city of David, where God was to be worshipped and the high priest was to offer up that lamb for the people once a year on behalf of the people of Israel. But here this wicked king, Jeroboam, decides in order to keep his political power that he is going to set up these two places. Now the Scriptures tell us, Romans 15, the verse 4, For whatsoever things are written aforetime are written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And we are learning here from God's Word, necessary things for life. There are warnings in this passage. And the Apostle Paul also reminds young Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, in the verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. For what? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that what the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So all of Scripture here is profitable for us, and there are many lessons that we can learn, imperative lessons, and we are warned here. We could put, as it were, as a title of us, and I'm not one for titling sermons, but touch not the unclean thing. We read there, didn't we, from Second Corinthians 6, how the Lord said to His people, come out from among them. And we find here in the north, Israel, that there is an old prophet here that has compromised. He's a compromised prophet. And he entices the faithful prophet that has been sent by the Lord to warn Jeroboam what he's doing is a terrible thing and that God's judgment will come. And we find that this passage, chapter 13, has some peculiar twists and turns that might even baffle the mind. But we are confronted here in chapter 13 with the holiness of God. God demands and commands complete obedience, not partial obedience. We find that this prophet that is sent from Judah by the Lord, he's extremely faithful up to a point. And then we find he is not faithful. And he meets with great chastisement. A lion 
sent by the Lord slays him. And it's a warning. It's a warning to all of us. It was a warning to the people there in Bethel, in Israel, to not participate with that which God condemns. It's a warning to us today. Remember what the Lord says, I am the Lord and I change not. And that verse gives us great comfort. I'm the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob, you're not consumed. But it's a warning to us as well that the Lord is the same in His holiness and what He requires of His people. Yes, of course, that prophet was a man of God. And of course, God's people, all of them, will be in heaven because of Jesus Christ, because of that finished work of Jesus Christ. But we're reminded that God does chasten and sometimes very severely when we do not do, as He says. There's that little hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way, but we never can prove the delights of His love until all on the altar we lay. Now here is Jeroboam. He's got an altar. But it's a bad altar. We are to lay our hearts, our lives on the altar of God. That is, we are to to offer up ourselves as living sacrifices to serve Him wholeheartedly and not to do things our own way. Jeroboam here is a very pragmatic man and in fact a wicked man and he meets with great judgment in the end. We must be obedient to God. Peter says in 1 Peter 1, chapter 1, verse 14, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation, and so on. God does not honor, friends, partial obedience. If we get anything from today, I hope we get that. God does not honor partial obedience. We want to hear those words, surely, when we reach heaven, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now this passage begins, notice verse 1, by telling us that here Jeroboam begins to offer sacrifice. And let me just say this, this, if you read the previous chapter, he's gone to great and elaborate extent to make such a public display of a supposed worship to Almighty God with the offering sacrifice where these golden calves are. It's so elaborate, and men do that, don't they? You look at these sometimes grand displays, high church, but it's, it's not what the Lord commands. And people do this, people do this to sort of give credence to what they're doing. This is of the Lord. The Lord must be here. Make things appear to be grand. And this is what he's doing. This was not a small occasion. And we know that in this passage, the old prophet is not there, but his sons are there. Why on earth are they there? He should have been watching his sons, the old prophet in this passage. But notice, the passage begins by telling us, and behold, there came a man of God out of Judah, by the word of the Lord. The Lord sent him to Bethel. 
This is, of course, Israel now in the north, where these two places of false worship have been set up by Jeroboam. And here is Jeroboam at Bethel here. Notice, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. He's, in effect, mimicking what was being done in Jerusalem, in the city of God, in the city of David. He is trying to imitate even what Solomon might have done. Solomon, of course, wouldn't have burnt incense, but trying to play the part of the real king and uh, trying to attract. We've read even in chapter 12, if he, if he could have a, a great gathering, well, maybe Israel would just come together and I will be the real king. And we notice here he is burning incense. Really, he's not concerned about Almighty God, but about himself and his own kingdom. As I mentioned, I mentioned the background. Solomon, he taxed the people heavily, but his son Rehoboam comes into power, and he determines that he is going to tax the people even more. And so the people don't follow him, and they rebel. And now here, Jeroboam, the commander of Solomon's army, is on the altar here, offering up worship to the Lord, burning incense. And this is despicable. This is not pleasing to the Lord. And the Lord sends a prophet out of Judah, notice there in the verse 1, to Jeroboam, to cry out against the altar. And that's interesting, isn't it? Not so much against Jeroboam, but effectively to say that this is a pagan altar. And it's interesting how the devil works. Do you remember it was Aaron, and he was wrong, and there was great judgment that day. How that golden calf was set up after God brought them up out of Egypt, and the people began to worship that calf, and they began to dance and play. They rose up to play, and God came with a great judgment that day, and they should have known. They knew the past. They knew what God had done. Now, you notice here, this apostate worship is really what it's called. It's not done according, and there are no priests here from the tribe of Levi, but he appoints his own priests. And here he is, God sends this prophet from the south, He's an unnamed prophet, tells us it's not important. Basically, the message that he brings is important, that God is going to bring judgment upon this whole affair because it's, it's not sanctioned by the Lord. It's not of God. Verse 2, And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David. Josiah, and he names him by name. And by the way, this is some 300 years into the future. It's amazing. And, and we find the fulfillment there in 2 Kings chapter 23 in the verse 15. You can read for it all yourself. And Josiah does just that. He burns the bones of men upon that altar. Remember how Josiah, you can read it later on this afternoon, how he threw down all those false places of worship. And there was judgment in the land. God raised up a godly seed again, even from David's seed here. Josiah reigned in those years 641 to 610 BC, and he brought many great reforms, and he broke down all these altars. Judgment would come in time, and it did come. And uh, what we have here, I want you to notice in the verse 3, as we come to the verse 3, as he cries out against the altar, you notice... And he gave a sign the same day, saying, 
This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. So one day this altar is going to be destroyed. But in the time being, the altar is going to be rent. Now something else, you notice, as he, as he does this, it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried out against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him, that is the prophet. And his hand which he put forth against him dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him. Now that was saying very clearly to this man Jeroboam and all the people around that this prophet is protected by the Lord. You can't raise a hand against him. But also, furthermore, that this whole place, Bethel, was now defiled because of this false worship to the Lord. And you see, we have the sign. The sign is that very day the altar was rent. And the sign will follow a greater judgment. The judgment will be that we know is the end of this chapter and later on into the next chapter, the house of Jeroboam will be destroyed and idolatry will be destroyed one day. There was a time and period of Israel's history where they never went back to idolatry. And that is an amazing thing. Not to say that they didn't apostatize and they weren't faithful. But God did fulfill this. As I say, you can read that in Second Kings 23, all about that this afternoon, if you so wish. How we read there how Josiah burnt bones upon that altar some 300 years into the future. And so we have the sign, and then a greater work. And, and are we not reminded when we turn to the New Testament, the signs that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of greater things to come, and even the sign of his resurrection is a sign of something else to come. What is it? Acts 17, verse 31. The apostle says, Because he, that is God, hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he has raised him from the dead. The very fact of the resurrection is proof that there's a judgment day coming. That's a sign. And the wonders and the signs of the apostles all authenticated the very fact that they were sent of God. And what this prophet did here on this altar that day and how the Lord stopped him. You can just imagine the embarrassment of King Jeroboam in the north now. He can't move his hand. He calls to the gods, lay hold on him, lay hold on the prophet. He's angered because the, the prophet is crying out against this altar and he can't stop it. You would have thought that made Jeroboam to stop. You'd have thought it had made the people of Israel to stop, but it didn't stop. It's a wonder, isn't it? Do you know you can even do, as in the days of our Lord Jesus, think of all the miracles and signs and wonders that he did. Outward appearance doesn't change the heart, does it? Many people say, well, if only I could see the miracles that the Lord did, that would change me. It wouldn't change. Unless there is a supernatural 
work of God upon the soul, my friend. The man remained in his apostasy, in his sin. Well, what happens? The prophet cries out and prays even for the king, and the king is healed. His arm is restored as it was. And you'd have thought that in itself as well, a further proof that here is one sent from God, is come with authority. And you'd have thought that this would humble him. But it doesn't. You notice as the, the narrative goes on, what happens? Verse 6 is, His hand is restored again, and the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. He's not acknowledging God. He's saying, it's all down to you. You have restored my hand. Not praise the Lord. Thank you for your prayer to God. There's no acknowledgement there. And the man of God said, verse 8, unto the king, if thou would give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. Why? Verse 9, for it was charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, eat no bread nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. The Lord had given this prophet from Judah very strict instructions not to eat there, not to drink there. Why? To show that God was utterly incensed with all that is going on here, with all that is taking place, and that the fact that he is, is commanded not even to eat there, not to associate with these people, ought to have indicted their consciences, ought to have stung them. That's the whole reason. Of course, there may be other reasons why he was told not to eat and to drink there, because we know that the Scriptures say evil company corrupts good manners. But the chief reason, you see, encapsulated in all of this is the message that God is sending to the people in the north. I am not pleased with what is going on here. You are not obedient to my word. You are pragmatic. You are doing things your own way. And the central message, you see, enveloped in all of this, the message of the prophet is God is not pleased. The prophet was instructed not even to go back the same way he came in, lest, number one, he might even meet some of the friends that he has made, acquaintances, or maybe they can follow his tracks. The message is clear. God is going to destroy all of this. The crying out against the altar. And so he, verse 10, he went another way, we read, and did not return by the way that he came unto Bethel. Now, if only it ended there. If only the account ended there. But it doesn't. It doesn't end there. Notice verse 11, Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel. Now he was older, clearly, but he was a compromised prophet. What in the world was he still doing there? And what were his sons doing? Because we read of his sons that day who witnessed everything that this faithful prophet did in crying out not only against the altar, but in what Jeroboam was doing. And they reported all back. But what were they doing? And there's a reminder. We've got to be careful. 
And we have to watch our children. We have to watch those who are, we've been entrusted to, to look over and to care for. They come back to their father and they, they tell their father all that has happened that day. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and the sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel, and the words he had spoken unto the king. That is the prophecy, that is everything that had been taken place there. Then they told also to their father, and their father said unto them, What way went he? Instead of repenting, getting out, what does he do? He looks for the prophet. And we told you that the son saw the way that the prophet went. And he said unto his son, Saddle me the ass. So they saddled him the ass, and he rode thereon, and went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Now notice, then he said unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. Why? Because God had said it. God had strictly commanded it. Now, of course, we read here that this man lies. What does he lie about? He says, for it was said to me by the word of the Lord. He said unto him, this is the, the older prophet, I am a prophet also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee unto thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. Now, you know, many people are baffled by all of this. And they said, but he lied to him. Surely he should be excused. No, my friend. God has spoken it. And when God has spoken it, and to believe something else, like Eve did, that is a sin. That's, to believe a lie is sin. When God has said something, we are to obey it. It's clearly sin. This man goes to his house, and this is clearly wrong. And we must be very careful, even though one may appear as an angel of light. Even somebody might say, well, I'm a Christian too. If they do not speak according to the truth, we do not hear them. We have to remember that there are many deceivers out there. Now, he was indeed a prophet, but a lapsed prophet. One who was a clearly living a compromised life in a compromised land. When he heard the message from his sons, what God had said by the prophet concerning that altar and concerning Jeroboam, he should have repented. But notice what he does. The man of God went back with him, verse 19, and did eat bread in his house and drank water. And that was a sin, because God told him not to. And it came to pass, as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. Now, in the Hebrew, there's a pause there. And that is... As they were eating and drinking, there was a silence at the table. God now brings a word to this compromised prophet. 
this young man is going to die because he should not have done what you've asked him to do. Come and eat at my table. Come and drink. Come and rest for a while. And notice in verse 21, and he cried unto the man of God. In the Hebrew, the expression is this. It's a cry of lament, of sorrow. As it were, God has spoken to me and told me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, for as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place which the Lord did say unto thee, Eat no bread and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulchre of thy fathers. In other words, you're not going to return home. Now, here's the question. Why did this lapsed prophet or this old prophet ask him to stay back? Well, this is very often the case. Compromised Christians very often want us to be like them. And the reason for that is that sometimes faithfulness your faithful living makes them feel very uncomfortable, makes them feel very uneasy. You'd be like me. It's okay. But he couldn't. The whole message of this, that God had given this prophet, this land is defiled, the priesthood is defiled, they should have come out away. And it's a warning. We've got to be very careful, even Real Christians can cause us to stumble and to fall and bring great chastening of the Lord upon us. Let me say this, this is the chastening of the Lord. We do believe that this young prophet was a man of God. We're told that. We believe on all accounts of Scripture that he is with the Lord. You can read much later. There's a lot to be said about this prophet, that he was buried in a sepulchre. And he was a man of God. And of course, Christians stumble, Christians fall. But friends, we have to realize that others who are even Christians can cause us to stumble and to fall and to err. And great chastening will come upon us. And we read in verse 23, And it came to pass, after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, that he saddled for him the ass, to wit, the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him, and his carcass was cast in the way, and the ass stood by it, the lion also stood by the carcass. Now, this is quite striking, isn't it? Ordinarily, a lion would have utterly devoured the man. But we find the ass here and the lion standing next to this dead man's body. And thus God signifying to all of Israel in the north, this is my judgment. This is God's judgment. Because even one who was partially faithful didn't fully obey my word. You see the power of the message. You see the central emphasis here that is being laid on. God requires complete obedience. 
faithfulness to him. The lion hasn't eaten the body, simply slain him. And it's quite interesting. We read as, as the, 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 the older prophet goes, you notice in verse 28, he gets his sons to saddle the ass, verse 27, and they saddled him. Notice verse 28, and he went and found his carcass in the way, and the ass and the lion standing by the carcass. The lion had not eaten the carcass, nor torn the ass. And it's quite even clear that this, this older prophet, he doesn't even seem to be afraid of, of the lion. The lion won't touch him. And that again signifies the judgment of God on all that's taken place. And we notice even the prophet is able to take up the carcass of this younger prophet, the faithful prophet, not completely faithful. And the prophet took up the carcass of the man of God and laid it upon the ass and brought it back. And the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. What a contrast, what a change. But you notice, there's something quite striking here. He is concerned to be buried with this man. But there's no, there's no it seems, real repentance in this man's heart. He's more concerned about where he's going to be buried rather than where he's living now. What he's allowing his sons to do. We read in verse 30, And he laid his carcass in his own grave, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And it came to pass, after he had buried him, that he spake to his sons, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the sepulchre wherein the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. In some ways he reminds me, and I'm not saying this man isn't, heaven will reveal but we think of Balaam. He said that, oh, that I would die the death of the righteous. You know, we might even be concerned that where we're going to be buried. Surely the concern is, are we walking faithfully with the Lord now? It seems that he's more concerned with the physical than the spiritual. Well, this isn't the end of it. What about Jeroboam? Is there judgment coming to him? Yes, there's judgment coming to Jeroboam. Even in this chapter, you say, well, how is it? How does judgment come to Jeroboam? The Lord leaves him in his sin. Jeroboam carries on with all that he's doing. And my friends, that can be judgment. And you notice, verse 33, And after this thing Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people priests. You see, you would have thought he'd have at least tried to get some Levite priests. I'm not saying he should have done that. But there's not even a shift. He's hardened all the more, isn't he? In his sense. He made again of the lowest of the people priests of the high places. Whosoever would, anybody, no qualification. We have that today. We have men who are not called by the church, and churches don't make inquiry whether a man is 
and faithful in another church, another course. Well, if you want to do it, just do it. What you're saying is this, it's not important. You know, they say, as an old saying, some churches deserve their ministers. A true church will want a man of God. A man that is serious. A man that wants to honor the Lord. Whosoever would, he consecrated him. Because really he despised, he had a low view of the things of God, you see. God has called us to be holy and to be separate. When we think of the altar, what do we think of ultimately? It speaks of Christ, doesn't it? The Lord Jesus Christ who came into this world. It wasn't a bull, it wasn't a golden calf, but it was the Son of God who came into this world, who stepped into time, space, and history. And all of these things in the Old Testament, the Apostle says, were shadows of good things to come, pictures of the truth, things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole of the arrangement of the Old Testament, tabernacle and temple, pictured the Lord. And therefore it is holy. And everything we do for the Lord should be holy. Because heaven is holy, God is holy, and we are to be a holy people. God doesn't approve of lies. You think, this old prophet now, he has to live with his lie. That his lie caused the death of the other prophet that was more faithful. You see, God has his way of chastening, doesn't he? We don't want any regrets as Christians. We want to honor the Lord. The unbeliever won't honor. Look what Jeroboam does. And after this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people priests. He's degrading the priesthood. He's degrading the things of God. Whosoever would, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing became sin unto the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off. It wasn't in his time, but it would be. And to destroy it from off the face of the earth. My friends, the Word of God says, your sin will find you out. And God will not be mocked. If we sow to the Spirit, we shall reap. But if we sow to the flesh, we shall reap corruption. Do we care about the honor of God's name? Do we care about the honor of Jesus Christ? Do we care about the truth? Look at this prophet that has lapsed just over time. You make compromises, you end up making one big compromise. And don't be surprised, like the older prophet's sons, they were able to go along with all that Jeroboam was doing. One generation to the next, you let something slip. Who can tell what the next generation will do?
we've got to be faithful to the word. We thank the Lord for the one who was faithful. We think of this prophet who started out faithful, and God took him out of the way. And in a way, that, that was a blessing, wasn't it? Because it surely showed that God is true to his word. My friends, when you think of Calvary, what took place at Calvary? I'll tell you what took place at Calvary. Judgment took place there. Nothing less than judgment. God spared not his only begotten son. There are two things at Calvary. We see the love of God. And Christ Jesus laying down his life for his sheep. But we see the justice of God being met in the person of his son. God spared him not. But friends, he had no sin. And thus, he is raised for our justification. And as I said there in Acts 17, God has given the one sign that judgment is coming. The end of the world. What does Paul say? He has given assurance of this by raising his son from the dead. The sign validates the greater which is to come. Will we humble ourselves and walk with the Lord? As we have sung many a time and we'll sing this morning, When we walk with the Lord in the light of His love, what a glory He sheds on the way. He calls us to trust and obey. There's no other way. Sometimes obedience is hard. But friends, let me say, sometimes when we're not obedient, the fall is so hard, isn't it? We don't want to stumble and we don't want to cause anybody else to stumble. May we trust and obey, for there's no other way. And what a glory he sheds on the way. And as we sing, but we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. What a wonderful thing it would have been. Now there's no ifs in the kingdom of God. If that prophet would have done all that he had to do, go back. But you know, God has given these things to show us that He is holy, but He can make crooked things straight, can't He? Even this working and even the failures of your life, the stumblings of your life, and how the way God has chastened you, He chastens His children because he loves them. And any chastening we receive of God, we know, is for our good. May we receive it as sons. Amen.